One Hope Church. Awesome. Good morning, everybody. Glad you are here this morning. Another Sunday outside in Athens, Georgia, middle of December. Um, and again, just amazing how we, um, since we started meeting outside in the early spring, have not had to miss a Sunday or just go online or whatever um, because of, of weather and being unable to meet outside. Just a tremendous blessing that we have received. We don't know how long that'll, that'll last or God will do something different, but we should give thanks um, for, for the blessings we have when we have them, right? And this is certainly one, and it's a privilege um, and a blessing to be able uh, to uh, worship together, to sing together, um, to look at the Word of God together, um, and to do so here um, at this time and place. And um, it's a privilege indeed, and let's not um, lose sight of that fact. Um, And especially as we remember the greatest blessing of all that God has given to us, His own Son, Jesus Christ, Um, And we remember that, especially this time of year. We're also looking through the book of Genesis to remind us how we got to where we are today. And we've been looking at key characters, um, you know, throughout. We're going, again, we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're not going to skip over anything hard. Um, There's difficult stuff in today's passage. Um, But we we are focused in right now on the lives of Abraham um, and Sarah um, and their critical um, to to how we got where we are today and and to our faith and so um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll be in Genesis chapter fifteen with this covenant that God makes um, with Abraham and the sign of the covenant that He gives and so let's go to the Lord um, in prayer. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your love, your goodness to us, God. We're thankful that we can be out even here outside. Um, Lord, you have created such a beautiful world, an amazing world for us to enjoy. And we see it even despite the brokenness that we also see, Um, the the brokenness in our own hearts, our own sinfulness, our our own rebellion against you, God. And we're so thankful that in your grace, you have reached out um, to us and made yourself known and given us your son and given us a way to turn us from being rebels against you to being part of your family um, through faith in your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we are so thankful that you came to this earth. You came for the purpose to pay our price. And to make us yours. And so, Lord Jesus, we give you praise and glory this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So let's just read the first eight verses of Genesis chapter 17. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. 
Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So let's work through this a little bit. Um, In verse 1, God reveals himself and says, I am almighty God. In Hebrew, this is El Shaddai. This is the first time in the book of Genesis that God reveals this name of himself to anyone. And he reveals it to Abraham. We've we've had um, Elohim and we've had um, Yahweh um, used before. Um, you know, Yahweh, you know, transliterated into Greek, Jehovah, um, maybe familiar um, with, with that one. But this one, El Shaddai, means that God is almighty. God is making a claim to be above all. And there's also um, a possibility of this being that God is, is abundant. He's an abundant um and able to supply in his his almightiness, he is able to supply everything that is according to his will. But the key is that God is almighty. Being almighty, what does that mean? He can do everything. He can do what he seeks to do. Even when that doesn't seem possible in a in human terms because he's making this promise and we're going to see more of this promise but he's making this promise with Abram Abram that he's going to be the father of many nations now as we're going to read as we continue um, you know Abraham can still have this idea of okay Ishmael is going to be the one to, to be the fulfiller of this promise. But we're going to see God isn't talking about Ishmael. He's going to be talking about a son of Abraham and Sarah. Now, who could do that? Only God. Why? Well, because they are both quite old and particularly Sarah is, you know, she is barren. She's never had a child and she is elderly <laughs> at this point. Um, it's going to be something that only God could do. And he can do it, why? Because he is almighty. God is almighty. Now, God changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham. Um, Abram... That I that the name meaning that he had of exalted father, which is probably a look back toward his royal lineage um, coming from Terah 
coming from, you know, what God had called him out of. And again, remember, when, and this is just a, rem- a consistent reminder as we study the life of Abraham, that when God called Abram, Abram had to leave some things behind. He, had to, he left his family behind. He left his false gods behind. He left his prestige in that part of the world behind. He, he left the, what was just going to be, be his in the natural order of things from his father after his father passed. You know, he leaves all of that behind. And still today, when God calls people, they often have to leave things behind, especially if they are coming from a culture of false gods. I mean, let's just be be real, um, you know, in this situation. If you grew up where there was really no belief and nobody cared what you believed, and you became a follower of Jesus, you know, that's one thing. If you grew up in a home where Jesus was loved and taught, that's another thing. If you grew up in a home where to be a follower of Jesus would cut you off from your family and your culture and all of the things that you have identified yourself with to that point in your life, that is a whole nother thing. It's more difficult. But in order to follow the true and living God, Somebody has to do it. And somebody has to set on that course. And so if you are one who has been a beneficiary because somebody descendant in descendants past. Sorry. Ancestors. Your ancestors. <laughs> so silly. Uh, your ancestors. You know, someone. You go back two, three, four, five, six, seven generations. There's somebody who came to follow the Lord and then that set on a different path. Perhaps it was, you know, your your father or your mother, or your grandfather or your grandmother, or perhaps it was you. For some of you, it's you, and you're the one saying, I'm not going with what my parents and grandparents did. I'd have to go way, way, way back. For some people, it might be, I'd have to go all the way back. To, to Noah, to find somebody in my family who follow God. But when things have gone off course, somebody has to have the courage and the love for God and the obedience to God to say, come what may, even if it costs me my life, even if it costs me everything, I'm going to follow Jesus. Somebody's got to have that courage. But for those of us who have been fortunate enough to be in situations where our parents or, or other people in our family love God and it wasn't this huge sacrifice that we had to make, how much more should we be praying for those who even now are faced with those decisions around the world? The scripture says, choose this day whom you will serve. See, people are making choices. And and people say, well, I'm not going to make a choice. Well, that in itself is a choice. 
everybody's making a choice. There's no way out from making a choice of who do you serve? Who is your God? Is it yourself? Is it some false deity? Is it something that can't hear, that can't see, that can't speak, that can't help you in a time of need? Or is it the true and living almighty El Shaddai? See, Abram, in order for him to be in a position for God to change his name to Abraham, he had to step out in faith. And he had to become vulnerable. And he had to become more dependent on God. He had to leave behind some of his safety and security. And at the same time, that's from a human perspective, right? Because there is, is there any place safer? Is there any place more secure that Abram could have been other than in the hand of God? In fact, God had promised him, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Verse 9 says, And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you through their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants. After you, every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He was born in your house and he was bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, a couple of things here. Again, God, when he changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham, so he goes from being his name meaning exalted father and you know possibly a look back to father of a multitude, looking forward to generations that would come, descendants upon descendants, even nations and kings that would come from his seed. And ultimately, as he was promised, um, there would be one who would be a, a, a blessing to every family on the earth through his seed, and that is Jesus Christ. But he gives him a sign of this covenant. It's like God says, you know, I'm doing this, but here's what I need you to do. And this is where he brings in circumcision. And so that's a fun thing to talk about. Said no one ever. Um, you know, but so circumcision is, um, something we have to address here. God does everything and he sets things up, um, to make a difference and a separation. So what he's doing is he's saying, okay, those who are circumcised are going to be acknowledging, their families are going to be acknowledging 
that there is El Shaddai. And those who are not doing that are going to be denying El Shaddai. So then, you know, in circumcision, the, the foreskin is, is cut off. But those who are unwilling to do that, it says they would be cut off from, you know, the, the rest because of their lack of faith and their lack of obedience. Okay. So that's going to make a distinction. Now we have in this, and what is difficult for again for us um, to talk about it. And there's other passages of scripture where I think are perhaps more appropriate for us to delve more, more fully um, into this um, idea of being people being bought and and sold in in servitude. Um, I do want to just make a distinction. Uh, between, you know, being a servant in the house of Abraham and our worst connotations of our, our worst models and pictures of, of slavery are, are not connected. Um, you cannot equate what we read here about what it, what it is to be a servant in Abraham's house with um, much of what went on with the North Atlantic slave trade or with Roman slavery um, you know, this sort of, of brutal um, exploitation um, of, of people. Um, those things should not be equated, um, you know, as if they are apples to apples because they, they are not. Um, but it does make us admittedly uncomfortable to see, you know, in Abraham's house, there are people who, you know, he, he had purchased. Now, again, the cultural context, people were going to be purchased. You definitely would prefer to be purchased and be part of Abraham's household than many other people's. Okay, because why? If you are with somebody who fears God, that's going to affect how they treat other human beings. What I want us to note here that is really important is that the covenant that God makes with Abraham isn't just for his direct descendants through birth, but all of those, regardless of what nation they come, they came from, were to be participants in the covenant that God made with Abraham. Because God tells him that you know these servants, wherever they came from, are also to be circumcised. And so that is actually, I believe for us, a really hopeful um, text because God is not making a distinction and saying, you know, this particular ethnic group can be right with God and nobody else can be. It's actually the message is the opposite of that. And, And I think that that's really encouraging for us this morning. Again, back in Genesis 1 and 2, you know, Every human being made in the image of God and here with Abraham and this covenant that is made with him, you know, all of those from other places, from any foreigner who is not your descendant, they also get to participate in the blessings of Abraham. And this again is, you know, in your, in your seed, it's a, it's a little bit of a, of a foretaste of a picture. Um, 
you know, in your seed, all the families of the earth we bless. And here, people from many different nations, they are being blessed by being part of Abraham's um, household and taking part in this step of faith. Now, verse 15 says, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her, and also give you a son by her, and then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. And in her name, there's this idea of, of royalty um, as, as well. In verse 17, it says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And isn't it amazing how God has said, Hey, here's what I'm going to do. And here's the sign of the covenant I'm going to give you. And here's what I, here's what I want you to do. And I'm going to specifically do this through you and Sarah. And what is Abraham's reaction? He falls on his face and laughs. And said in his heart, you know, basically, this isn't possible. It's got to be Ishmael. It's like Abraham is saying to God, I think you have it. I think you have it wrong here. Let me tell you how I think this should go. And we might think that's kind of wild but but folks how often do we do that how often do we want the solutions to our problems to be just so incredibly practical instead of God actually doing something that only God could do what is it with us and that you see As we read throughout, you're going to see this theme throughout the Old Testament where God sets up impossible odds. Why does he do that? Why does God set up impossible odds? Because the natural inclination of the human heart is prideful. The natural inclination of the human heart is one's own pride and one's own glory. God's clear in scripture that he doesn't share his glory in terms of like on the ultimate sense, like God is the one to be glorified. We are benefits. We receive the benefits of God's glory. We receive blessings and love and grace, but God is the one who is to be glorified. Like we worship God. God doesn't worship us. Let me say, make sure we, I mean, we got to, that should just seem so incredibly obvious, but we have to remember, we worship God. God, God is merciful and gracious and loving to us, but God does not worship us. There's a direction in worship. It is to go from us to God. And so God sets things up where the odds are so against his people. So who gets the glory? Throughout scripture, God loves to use tiny things like you know, Gideon. He takes Gideon, the least of all you know, potential leaders. 
in the scenario lifts him up and then says, you got too many people with you. Still got too many people with you. Too many people. So this huge, massive army is defeated by 300. Why? So that God gets the glory. Jesus takes a few disciples. He takes common fishermen. He takes a tax collector. He takes ordinary folks and he turns the world upside down. Why? So that God gets the glory. He uses little people and little churches to do great big things. Why? So that God gets the glory. And we need to be careful not to lose sight of that. We need to remember that we are to to be who we are and to do what we are to do in obedience to God so that God will get the glory. But we have to put in our hearts and minds and be reminded of that God wants to use the small. God wants to use the insignificant. God wants to use us when we are outnumbered. And so God says this in verse 19, then God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. See, so God says, no, I'm not changing the plan. I'm sticking with the plan. This is what I've told you. This is how it's going to go. But notice this. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. And he shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. And again, this is also, we see the grace of God, the mercy of God. He doesn't exclude Ishmael from his, from his love, from his grace, from his power, from his blessing. But he's also very clear. Plan A has, has not been deviated from. Because plan A was always Abraham and Sarah. And just because Sarah and Hagar and Abraham tried to take matters in their own hands and solve their problem according to the appropriate cultural you know, method of the time, God wasn't going to do something different with them. But he was going to bless Hagar and Ishmael. And isn't there some comfort there that God can bless us even when we, when we mess things up, even when we, you know, go off course for a, a period of time or through an event that God can still even bring blessing out of that. Yet, what does he want us to do? Get back on track. See, when we mess up, when we make bad decisions, when we aren't focused, when we aren't doing what the Lord wants us to do, there are consequences for that. But sometimes even in that, God works in his grace and mercy towards us and for his purposes. But what does he want us to do? He wants us to get back on track. 
Get back with the program. Get back with the plan. This is what God has for you. Verse 23. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old and he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And that very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So again, we've seen that played out it's for everybody that's there, including Ishmael. Again, God's love and grace is evident. And this was quick obedience. Now, now God had earlier given Abraham a a pattern. You know, once this is established, from then on, every male who is born on the eighth day, this is what you are to do. But to start that, they had to do something uncomfortable. They had to do something painful. But notice this. They did not hesitate or delay. They didn't say, you know, let's let's think about this a minute. Let's sleep on it. <laughs> let's, let's sleep on that a few nights. Let's sleep on this. Maybe next week, next month. Hey, you know, hey, we got this festival coming up and such and such. How about we do it like maybe two weeks before that or something? You know, like, let's, put it, let's put it on the calendar. Now they had quick obedience to what God had said. I'm going to come back to that. We'll finish with that thought. But now people are going to ask, okay, so today what role does circumcision play in our faith? The biblical answer is, is that for all who believe in Jesus Christ, the biblical answer is nothing. It it plays no role in your faith. Well, how do we know that? We know this because the New Testament is very clear. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. This is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of of righteousness by faith, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails or profits anything, but faith working through love. So in Jesus, circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't matter. As long as you're not being circumcised to try to be right with God. Okay? 
So let me be just really clear on this. People today may still decide to circumcise their sons because of you know, medical or cultural reasons. It has nothing to do with faith. It should have nothing to do with faith. If it has anything to do with faith, then, you know, a relationship with God, then that's when it becomes problematic. It becomes problematic at that point. Because now you're trying to put yourself, you know, into the, in, you know, back into the old as opposed to living in the new and the liberty that we have in Jesus. So we understand the, the difference between, between those things. Again, it's okay for medical reasons or for cultural reasons, you know, but it's okay also not to. So Paul says, circumcision, uncircumcision, like, it, neither avail or neither accomplish anything in the spiritual terms. Okay? Scripture's pretty clear on that. The point that Paul's making is, don't put yourself back under old covenants, under old laws, don't become a debtor, because if you if you try to do it in part, then you become a debtor to the whole thing. Well, hey folks, this is the bottom line about having a debt in the law. If Jesus has paid for your debt, then you no longer have the debt. But if you're trying to pay the debt, there's only one way to pay it. And that is to suffer the eternal judgment of God. I, I would suggest that you don't want to suffer the eternal judgment of God so that therefore you are better off not to put yourself under the law. You want to be living in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. You want through the spirit to eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. And that faith working through love. What is that love that God we, we celebrate this time of year that God sent his only begotten son to do what? To suffer on the cross in our place. Now again, we have to be careful here. And this is where we come back. Faith working in love. You can't separate that from obedience. Everybody clear on that? You cannot separate faith working in love from obedience. We have an example of obedience with what Abraham does in Genesis chapter 17. What did Jesus tell us? If you love me, keep my commandments. This morning I received um, a message with the perfect illustration um, for, for, for this lesson in, in, a, in a context you know, that works for us today. Lord's timing is is wonderful. Um, so I received this message from a friend of mine in another part of the world, and his his wife had gone to the this, this little corner store where they they are in that corner store. Some member of their family is in that corner store pretty much every single day. Okay, getting a little something um, from from the house. It's super super convenient. Just a a two minute walk. And his, his wife goes into the store and one of the workers she notices seems pretty upset. And, you know, 
again, the context here is very few people in their, in their cultural context are followers of Jesus. But she notices he's upset and, and, you know, ask him what's wrong. And he ends up letting it slip that, and again, there's cultural context here, but he has this, you know, he's, he's a little guy and he's got this, um, this friend who's a girl and, and, and she's been hanging out with this guy who's not a good guy. And he's like, and he said some things and now he may need to go and like defend her honor and like fight this dude. And so he's, you know, probably um, because he's he's not um, physically robust, um, concerned about this, you know, situation. And she's like, "Okay, I'll I'll pray for you." But she kind of, you know, backs out of the situation. She goes home and and says um, to her husband, "Like, hey, I think you need to go to go up there." And I think you need to go now, like this, you need to go now. And so he, he ends up going up there. He gets there. The guy's not in the store. So he's looking through every aisle, not in the store. He doesn't ask a coworker. Oh, he went to lunch. He's like, man, I, I really wanted to talk to him. I have something I wanted to give him. And um, The guy says, oh, well, he, he's actually just right around the corner there. And he goes around the corner and, and the guy's eating his lunch and there's nobody there. And so they're able just to talk for like 30 minutes. And it was this great opportunity that was given. But what did it require? It required recognizing what God was doing and what God wanted in that situation and what their response needed to be. And then it required obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, Keep my commandments. John 14, 15, and then verse 21, he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Or make myself known to him. Okay. What do we learn from this lesson from Abraham? What do we learn from Jesus in John chapter 14? We're saved by faith, not by works. Okay? Real clear on that. But true faith is always going to result in obedience. Abraham couldn't have gone and said, okay, I believe you, God, but we're just not going to do that circumcision thing that you asked me to do. See, that don't work. He had to actually follow through and do it. To say, you know, I believe in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the dead. I have salvation in him. Well, if that's true, what is the result going to be? If you love me, keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Like, there's the evidence. You see, we can't just say, well, I I believe in you, Jesus, but then... I don't have to worry about anything you said. That doesn't work. Like we have to. Our, our, our true faith is always going to have a response of doing good, of being obedient to what the Lord has asked 
us to do. And then what's the result of that going to be? It's a result of that. He loves me. We love my, my father and I will love him and make myself known to him. So, you know, there's sometimes in life when we go through and we, we might get a little bit dry spiritually. And anybody, maybe somebody's there now, today. Have you ever gone through a season in your life where you've been a bit dry spiritually? Well, how do you get out of that? You see, because you're dry spiritually because there's a, a lack of intimacy and fellowship between you, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? Or between me, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There's a lack of fellowship and intimacy that's that's there. Well, if I'm truly, you know, a child of God, well, nothing can 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 make me not a child of God. But so my relationship is there, but but my hindered my fellowship is hindered. Well, how do I restore fellowship? Obedience. Obedience. Well, what does that obedience look like? Well, we know that that obedience is going to be intentional time in the word and in prayer with God. Consistently. We know that that obedience is going to involve fellowship in the church. Because that's what the scripture commands us to do. We know that the obedience is going to be regularly taking the bread and the cup. Why? Because before we take it, we're supposed to examine our hearts and to confess our sins to the Lord. So that's, again, going to help us keep short accounts with God. We know that that obedience is going to involve loving our neighbor as ourselves. Which means what? Which means we're going to want to share the good news of Jesus with them and how there's life and salvation in his name. And the more obedient we are, the more fellowship with the Lord we enjoy. There's, that's just how that works. So the encouragement for us is to examine our hearts, our lives, and to say, okay, where am I being obedient? And where am I lacking in obedience? Because it, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be pretty dangerous if you say, if you just you know hear the question and go automatically, well, I'm being obedient. Without examining the situation. Without really examining, asking the Lord to examine your heart. So again, obedience. What have your quiet times look like this last month? What um, has your fellowship looked like? What has the sharing of your faith looked like? What has your generosity looked like? What is how you've treated those around you look like obedience God calls us to that and encourages for that so if you want greater intimacy with the Lord just say Lord help me to be more obedient and if you just do what he says when he says 
it will come. Because in that relationship between God and us as humans, it's God who does everything in terms of grace and love and mercy towards us. But we are still expected to make a response to that grace and love and mercy. And what is that response to be? Faith shown out in obedience. Faith lived out in obedience. So as we finish, Lord willing, 2020, take some time to take a reckoning of obedience, fellowship with the Lord, obedience to his commands. Just start being more obedient. And then as we enter, Lord willing, in the 2021, it's a new year, it's a new chapter, say, Lord, help us, help me and help us to be more obedient. Because we are in this together. So, like, my obedience matters in your life. Your obedience matters in my life. And our collective obedience matters big time in the life of our church and its impact in this world. And so may God help us by his grace and mercy and love, his grace and mercy and love and his desire. Folks, this this verse that we have in, in Revelation that's often used like a salvation verse is really a fellowship for believers verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You see, the Lord is always initiating with us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Where does he knock? What's that door? It's the door of your heart. It's the door of my heart. Will we open and let him in and have his way? You see, because here's the thing that we have, and, and this we know, and this is often why we're hesitant. I'm just going to go ahead and let let the cat out of the bag of why we're hesitant for this. You see, when when the Lord opens, we open the door of our heart and the the Lord enters in. He is there for fellowship, but it's not just to hang out. See, the Lord's not just like, let's just hang out and watch a game. He's not there just to hang out. He's there to... to to know us and for us to know him intimately, but he's also there for what? You know it. And this is why you don't want to open the door a lot of times. This is why I don't want to open the door a lot of times. Because what's he there for? To be king. How many kings can you have in your heart? How many kings can sit on the throne of your heart? There's only room for one at one time. And that's why so many times Lord's knocking at the door of our heart and we're like, bar the door, throw the dresser in front of it. Pretend, you know, pretend like it's not there. You know one way we do that? 
our devices. See, it's hard to hear from the Lord when, I mean, I'm even a little bit feeling, <laughs> it, it, it makes sense. I, I think sometimes, you know, to preach with the computer, but sometimes I'm, I'm, I mean, the word is, you know, the message is all there and it's easy and there aren't pages blowing all over the places right here outside and all that. But, but thinking about this, when we're having our quiet times, see when my, when my grandfather, when I go fishing at my grandfather's house, and I know I'm going long this morning, but forgive me. I go fishing at my grandfather's house, and I wake up in the morning, and he's already awake, and he's sitting at the kitchen table, and he's got his Bible. And at night before he goes to bed, he's sitting at the kitchen table, and he's got his Bible. And I see my parents all growing up and all the time with their Bibles. And what do our see? What do our kids see us with? Even if we're in our Bibles, they don't know why, because we're in our phones. For all they know, it's Facebook, Instagram, news article, whatever else. So as we look at generations before us and say they were in their Bibles, our our descendants will look at us and say they were in their phones. And it's like, yeah, you can have your time phone, but let me ask you this. Do you put it on airplane mode? No notifications, no distractions? Or is every minute of the Bible interrupted by a text message, a notification of some sort that comes through? How can we focus? Is the Lord not worth some time? We turn everything else off. How can we hear from the Lord if all the time the world is in our homes just cranking distraction? See, it doesn't have to necessarily be bad. See, I'm not even talking about that. I'm not even talking about the junk. I'm just talking about that it's there. And it's just there all the time. How can we hear from the Lord if there's always other voices in our heads? Every time we're in the car, sports radio. Every time we're in the car, doesn't matter if it's bad or whatever, classical music, country music, whatever it is you listen to. How can we hear from the Lord if there's never any quiet from when we wake up to when we go to bed? There's just voices, good, bad, indifferent, whatever, in our heads constantly. We can't even take 20 minutes to turn it all off. Can we make a challenge just from now until the end of the year that we just turn some mess off like for periods, like chunks of time? Just turn mess off. Have a quiet time, actual physical Bible, phone in another room. I ain't gonna think about it. Just turn off the mess. Like, look, the world is gonna keep on spinning. Whether you got that text... Right that moment or 30 minutes later, it ain't going to matter. You know what's going to happen one day you die? You know what's going to happen? The world's going to keep on spinning. Those texts, those messages, they're going to keep on coming. 
Yeah, you gotta be there to see him. Like, turn it, we gotta turn it off sometimes, folks. Because we are either walking in the Spirit or we're just being distracted and overcome by this constant flow of entertainment and information that some of it is bad and some of it is good and some of it is neutral but I can tell you one thing it's all just too much it's all just too much give space for the Lord to speak to us as we finish the last half of the last month of 2020 take that challenge you decide what that looks like in your life but even now, commit. Say, Don't say, hey, I'll think about that. I'm going to table that. No. Like Abraham did. Say, Lord, what do you want us to do with it? All right, we're going to be obedient to that. I'm going to commit for the rest of 2020. This is what that's going to look like. Done. Don't go back. Just those days. Because I'm going to encourage you on that because sometimes you know we get all like oh I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this other thing well now you've just done a lot to God like do something you say something you're going to actually do and then just do that it just baby step is it listen <laughs> Claire, Claire and I made a commitment for the month of December we're going to run one mile every day whether we feel like it or not no matter what the weather is whatever you know why that was the goal? Because that takes like 10 minutes. We did not say we're going to run a half marathon every day. Because you know what that would have been? Foolish. That just been a lie. You know why? Our bodies are not equipped for that. It's not going to happen. Haven't been prepared for that. So look, I'm not asking you to just be like, hey, you need to go from like spiritually dry to like on fire in an instant. But what I am asking us to do is say, wherever you are today, even if you are on fire, take one step forward. And maybe that one step, even if you're not on, maybe you will go from nothing to on fire. That can happen. You go nothing to on fire in a day if you, if you lay it down. But just say, Lord, I'm going to lay it down at the feet of the cross and I'm just going to pick up what you want me to carry. And I'm not going to try to do more than that. I'm not going to try to be a hero. I just want to be obedient. And so may God help us to do that as we finish this year. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your goodness to us. Lord, you are gracious and compassionate. And also all throughout Scripture, When people meet you and their lives are changed, all the grace, all the mercy, all the love comes from you, God, and yet you ask us to believe you and to respond in obedience. So please help us to do that. Help me to do that, Lord, even today, to be obedient to you. Jesus, as we take the bread and cup this morning, we are reminded that you 
yourself were obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, and you did so out of love for us. And so, Lord, as we take that bread in a cup in obedience to what you have commanded us to do, we remember that your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us. And we take that cup with thanksgiving. But, Lord, even before we take it, convict us, help us to do seriousness with you. That you would move us so that our fellowship with you and with one another might increase in our effectiveness when people who do not know you yet would increase as they see your work in our lives. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Thank you.